Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. Why, stop thank you, you, Bob. Stop dying, Bob. Stop buying Mike. Stop dying Mike. Stop buying Mike. Did I really just say that? Yeah. I haven't been able to talk all day, guys. This is going to be a challenge. Awesome. I, I, was, it's the mustache. Life? You see the mustache? It's got oh, me. my God. It, it's got like, my lips all uh, a Twitter. Really? Did you? What are you? Are you going for you, since that Huntington Beach riot that you were involved in? Now you're going all macho guy. <laughs> I, I was I was listening to some Leonard Skinner and this just kind of happened. Skinner. It just kind of popped out of my face like this. No, Dude. I had I had I had the goatee. Dude, does and, a mask mess up your beard and your mustache? So is that um, you go into like? Is Mike wearing a mask? No, I'm fucking smoking oh. a cigar, man. Do just you, having a do ball. Do you wear a mask? Do you, I do. Are you yes, a masker? sir, I do. Yes, sir, I do. I think it's just a very common courtesy that you know I am not that entitled to think that oh, I don't have to wear a mask. No, I, I wear a mask when I go around people, but I don't wear a mask in my car. No, I see people no. wearing masks, masks in their cars. Like, well, what's the point? You're the only person well, in it. You know what? Chuck said something very poignant in one of the episodes back. He said that maybe they're delivering your food. They uh, might be delivering the delivery business. They might be running around delivering shit. But yeah, <laughs> or, I, I know what you mean. Or maybe they're just people that enjoy it. I don't, I don't enjoy them as much as I, <laughs> like we talked about this. I don't think I like them as much as I thought I would. I don't like the costume as much, but you know what? I finally got some comfortable ones. Amy, Amy got some ones that are super like lightweight and stretchy. And and once again, it's not going to keep me from getting sick. But when I sneeze or when I cough or when I talk, you're not going to get spit on you. I went and to a sushi. I just went to a sushi place tonight to get sushi for me and my daughter, and I, it was such a great experience. They were all like, you know, team having a team meeting you know no more plastic cups and they had all masks on everything was sand everybody was wiping stuff down i was like man that's how food should be handled fuck you know with surgical care man well i mean uh, you know so many people are suffering and it's going to be a long suffering it's not going to be over I, I don't know. I, I, uh, jury is jury is still out on wh- what what is going on, really. But I just feel for all the thirty million people that have lost their jobs. I don't think a lot of those jobs are coming back really fast. I mean, it's devastating. Mm-hmm. Oh, and so so you know. But one of the things I can't tell you is I don't like these Zoom meetings at all. I've been in them like constantly. I can't. It's not like being around people. You can't digitize everything. You know what I mean? Yeah, we, we, we went back out on the beach on Sunday, like 10 of us, but we kept our distance to my beach meeting. And we, we'd been Zooming and I stopped doing it just because I couldn't, I couldn't cope. It just doesn't have that feel. But I'm so glad we were there because there were two new guys. And it's just like, could you have gotten sober without people in the room? I mean... <laughs> It's just crazy, the idea that, well, I went to, like, I don't know, four Zoom meetings, the 12-step Zoom meetings. It's just, I don't know. It's the same as when we have, I don't want to say what Zoom meetings I'm in. How can I disguise it so nobody knows what I'm talking about? So don't you're give in a Zoom meeting. <laughs> you're in a Zoom meeting with somebody really, really important that everyone wants to impress. And then it's just like, it's not the same as being in a room. It's not the same dynamic. The Zoom is whoever's talking, their voice, 
Their face thing pops up. See, it just did it. See that, Chuck? Yeah. You and me, baby. Uh, no well, Mike Mark. Mike, Mike has to talk to Bob. I'm the little tiny one. <laughs> there he is. There when I talk. Yeah, here's Mike Mark. No, I just don't. I don't. I think a lot of businesses are going to go to Zoom meetings, especially for the next year. The, the talk at my office is, is, is we'll have, you know, three days a week you'll be there in person, two days a week you'll Zoom in. Like, I don't know. I, I You know. I'm old enough to to have had kids in my class who had polio, right? Yeah. I, that's how old I am. Wow. Wow. Right? Really old. Um, I got spinal meningitis when I was a kid and almost died. Life is chances. Life is, you know, all these kind of variables of odds. And it seems like we've just made this one thing, the only thing that matters at the exclusion of everything else. I, I don't know. I don't want to sound like a Trumper because then I'll get people hating me. But, but, <laughs> but I, to, a, to a certain extent, to a certain extent, how much more suffering are we causing in addiction, in mental health, in suicide, in, in multi-generational poverty that we know uh, there's a statistic that no Democrats like to talk about, but for every 1% of unemployment, that relates to 40,000 people a year die because of poverty, right? Mm -hmm. So when it's at 14%, we just caused half a million deaths. I know that everybody loves statistics and numbers and how many dead. There's going to be 90,000 people die of drug overdoses this year. Yeah. We don't shut the world down. I, I just, I don't want to say, like I said, I don't want to sound like a Trumper, but I do want to say, can the cure be worse than the, the disease, right? And I wish our liberal brothers and sisters would listen. Now, do I think we should willy-nilly just start spitting on each other and fucking in the streets? No. No, wait, no, no, <laughs> you know no, I mean? no, no butt orgy. That's a, that's a nice <laughs> no. way to put it, Bob. <laughs> but, but Mike and I go back far enough in 1983 and 82. Uh, a friend of a friend of mine, Tomato De Plenty, the singer of the Screamers, had what was called ARC, A R C, right? I think it was '82. Well, it wasn't. I hadn't. Yeah, maybe early '83. He had A R C, ARC, right? Yeah. And I said, "What is it, Tomato?" And he said, "Nobody knows. It's just like cancer." And you would get lesions on your face all over oh. your body, and then you would just die. Yeah, yeah. Later known as HIV, and and the only difference between HIV and AIDS is T cell count, right? So yeah. HIV and AIDS was originally called ARC. I knew a guy who had it that I met, and then he was dead in like three months. Yeah. When it got out in 80, late 83, 84, when we started understanding that it's sexually transmitted and intravenous drug users get it, everybody became more careful, right? Mike was there. Didn't you start bleaching your needles? Didn't oh, you yeah, start, yeah. stop sharing needles? You didn't shut down the world. You didn't stop shooting drugs. You didn't stop having sex. You had protected sex and you had... And you had, and you kept your own needle and you didn't share it with people, right? Right. I feel like, I feel like we've just 
I know this is going to sound crazy. Like we stop fucking and shooting drugs because there's a disease. Instead of, instead of do the commonsensical thing, don't spit on each other. Wear, wear, wear a mask when you go out in public, stay six feet away. Don't shake hands, do the elbow thing and let's move on. Well, do you that, think, uh, do you, do you think there's underlying, uh, problem of had had acquired immune deficiency syndrome had it affected straight people or non-drug addicts do you think it might oh have would they have shut down the society maybe yeah. they would have oh my god mike think about that if it wasn't just happening to our gay brothers and uh, brothers and drug addicts exactly right nobody gave a fuck we're gonna shut down the society why would you who cares we're just <laughs> the fear of hiv and aids was you die from it if you get it you fucking die listen there's not going to be concerts there's not going to be concerts it's not going to be clippers and lakers games there's not going to be um swimming pool parties but apparently up in wisconsin there are we are a culture for 200 years that has been like high-fiving all about hugging all about family all getting together people together people close people being people so that culture in it is not going to be changed very easily i'm a big hugger i i went to a, a business meeting in paul springs today and everyone touched elbows that it it's a neat thing. It's new and it's novel. And you look for one thing, if you're going to hit elbows, you have to look the person in the eye to make sure we're going to touch elbows, <laughs> right? What if like it's on handshake, your elbow? Handshake, you don't even have to look. You just put your hand out and they'll grab it and shake it. But with the elbow thing, you really got to make eye contact. I did it with like five, six people today at, down in Palm Springs. And it really was neat. And we, we every time I did it, we were laughing. That's a joyous thing. <laughs> So stop handshaking and hugging and start doing the elbow thing. I don't know. Yeah, you know, somebody people, gives me the elbow, I just go fuck the elbow. You know, uh, that, that's I, been oh my thing. God, it's the coolest thing. Because, Mike, you, you're a lot less likely to pick your nose, rub your eye, or stick your elbow in your mouth. That's why right. it doesn't matter much. But, I mean, th that's that's been a thing with the tattooing community for a long time, especially when guys are working, you do the elbow. But let's get to the issue at hand, which is so discouraging to me. And, and I, I don't really know. And I've talked with all my friends that don't want to talk about it in public. If we can't come together as a country for our elderly people and keep them safe and agree and do the right thing and kind of allow each other some, some mistakes and forgiveness, we're never going to come to agreement about anything. This has made me so pessimistic about America. I can't even tell you. Now it's a red-blue thing. The red people want to open the country. The blue people want to keep it closed. How did it become politicized? A fucking virus. And what's more interesting, too, the alcoholism rate has skyrocketed. And yeah. soon, soon to follow will be the suicide rate. You're going right. to see suicide rates because of financial devastation. I, I can I can see just as many people having committed suicide because they have no lives. They're going to lose their home. They're not going to get a new job. They're going to live in poverty. Their kids are going to be without without means. I mean, what are we really doing? Because Don Lemon on CNN wants ratings. <laughs> I'm telling you, it really is driven by television hype, you know, fooey to me. All the people that make their money on the digital 
in the digital realm are making money. They're the ones that are out there writing books, you know, about like how wrong this is and about how, you know, this is the, the one side is wrong, the other side is wrong. They're selling books to people that are home. Everybody that puts up one of those videos has something to sell. Exactly. But I'm really concerned about all the working people of America being okie doke by this partisanship. And then number two, because I don't think anybody has a realistic view of it nor a realistic plan of what to do. Number two, I'm really concerned about the addiction population, the sober community. I've heard about people getting drunk, which I think is kind of a kind of a chicken shit move. You see how I did that, Chuck? Chicken yeah. shit over. <laughs> All you have to do is change your language to modernize the political correctness. So chicken shit is totally acceptable to call someone chicken shit. You're calling a bad thing a good thing. <laughs> because, I, I, you know, that doesn't make any sense. Oh, don't go Lenny Bruce on us right now, Chuck. So, so but, but you know, right. Lenny Bruce's skit is, why do people say fuck you in the, it, like it's a negative? Like, that's a really good thing. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let me so, check my schedule. <laughs> so, so, but, but think about it. Like, if you got drunk because, say you're a year or two sober and you got drunk, did you really get drunk because of the coronavirus lockdown? Because yeah. I think a lot of people that I've talked to, a lot of people that are claiming it to me, and I just, I just called bullshit, bullshit. I was like, if you got loaded because you you were at home too much alone you didn't make a much, enough effort to be in part a part of the rest of the of the world or your neighborhood or your people that you know or your family but i think it's become a convenient excuse for people to say oh they relapsed because they were so depressed and isolated i'm not isolated i'm 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 at high risk is what i was told i'm i'm not isolated i have people around i you know i go to what's that i hate the place panera i go to panera and wear my mask and pick up my <laughs> my food and say hi to the guy yeah right? what, what we but, gotta do but have you heard chuck of people saying they got loaded because of the isolation <laughs> and loneliness because yeah, i have people heard yeah people with time People with yeah, time. Yeah, people with time. That's what I'm talking about. Yes. I'm not that talking about newcomers. I'm talking about people with time. Yeah, exactly. Year, two years. Exactly. New people, new, newer people, people in their first six months. I, I, I get it. I, I mean, it, they didn't have to either because they've got phone numbers. They've they got were going to anyways. And it's I funny because so they're choosing to drink. They're choosing yeah, to they're drink. all drinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, fuck it, man. It's like, you know, yeah. it's like... I don't know, it's there, like the Reagan a, era when we thought everybody that you know, death from above was gonna well, was gonna kill us all. You, you know, know uh, or the or the '90s when the terrorism was in the Bush era was going to kill us yeah, all. The early 2000s. Yeah, all of these things caused more drinking. Yeah, and Mike, you you know how at the the beach meeting there's that guy Paul and there's like ten kids that come with him that sit on one side of the meeting. Well, yeah. four four of those ten kids kids 25 to 20 yeah, to 25 yeah. um all, all fell out and that's what they started saying was oh you know they got drunk because of this and i, I said no they 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 found an opportunity my brain when 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 i was sat down and told that my brother was dead my first thought wasn't poor jeff it was i could get loaded, I can right get now, loaded. and, and I no one's gonna say shit so it's just like when everybody's going oh this this is gonna be bad they, they're 
alcoholic heads because they had their head hadn't changed. So yet. what? Do, why do you think it is that people get loaded? Whether it's with three days or or thirty years, Gloria Scott used to say it, that you, that one of the crucial things is to be convinced your innermost self that you are alcoholic and to know what that means. That yes. alcohol for you is not a solution. Yes. Right. And once you forget that, you're going to drink. It's a matter of time. Right. So so all these people that with one and two and four and five years, and we're talking about the steps and steps and steps three months ago before the lockdown, who drank in the last 90 days, have forgotten that they are powerless over alcohol in their lives so and have become unmanageable. Right. Well, that's that's and where- and they and they and so they're. So it's not because of the coronavirus or the lockdown or the death from above and the Russians are going to bomb us. Or in my case, I told the story. I got I relapsed after nine months because Flea wouldn't buy me a car. That's a good reason. And it was as real as the coronavirus to me. You guys must laugh about that now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's certainly more real than the murder hornets. I don't even know what happened to them. So, so. I, I don't know what to tell people. I say, you know, I don't I don't think that's why you got loaded because guess what? There's a lot of people lonely that are same amount sober as you. There's a lot of people lost their job and are depressed and they're not getting drunk. So how do you explain it's, that? You know, yeah, that's alcoholism. Right. Well, I think you, I think I think you said it perfectly. I think that's where the obsession stops, right? When your when your brain starts stop seeing the problem is a solution because we see the problem as a solution. It's so hard at the beginning when the answer to everything is to drink and get loaded. The answer is everything is to find a way to fix it. And then as soon as you can see the problem as the problem and not as a solution, that's in that paradigm shift or that, that spiritual experience or whatever has happened where we see it as a problem. And we're well, the old guard, the old guard too. And, and, and follow me on this. The old guard didn't care I mean, Mike's the best example of it, but me too. Like uh, uh, Gloria Scott and Buddy Arnold and Bob Timmons and Doug Figer and all the people that mentored me. Um, oh my God, I just named all dead people. Oh, anyways. Wow, man. <laughs> like all well, those not- people that helped me so much with their wisdom, right? They always emphasize that, you know, all you have to do perfectly is not drink today. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing you need to do. And if you fuck up or you're rude to your partner or you, you know, you act inappropriately, you can fix that. You can learn from that. But going back to drinking is just going back to kindergarten. That Gloria used to say that. Are you going to go back to the kindergarten again? How, she used to say, Bob, how many years have you spent in kindergarten? Ah, that's so awesome. <laughs> like, about, I love I that say, we're passing on her wisdom through you, I, man. I, I, I fucking I was love like, it. Well, what does that mean? And she goes, from when you had your like, first 30 days. And I said, that was in 1984, I think. So she goes... And this was like in 99, uh, 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 yeah, 96 or 90, 96, I got sober. So, so this is in 93, probably. And she said, how many more years do you want to be in kindergarten? You've been in <laughs> kindergarten for nine years. Oh, my God. 
And, Good point. and, you know, and when you're new all the time, you start to know the meetings that ask you to stand up if you're in your first, not to embarrass you, but to get to know you better. Is there anybody in their first 30 days that would like to stand up and, and state their disease and their name and disease? I stopped going to meetings like that because literally in a year, in say the year 1992, if I went to 200 meetings, 140 of those, I had to stand up and sit down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was so just fucking too, embarrassing. It's too much. It's just too it's much. It's too much. <laughs> and then I was running around with like Chris Hoy and those guys. And if you were if you were in your first 30 days and you didn't stand up, they'd hit you on your leg and push you and, and like fucking stand up, dude. Fucking stand up. Right? <laughs> It wasn't like now, like, oh, you're too gentle and fragile. <laughs> like, it's okay. Just sit this one out. <laughs> and, or Hoy yeah. would, do, would do this thing where he, if you, like, I, many times I was with him, and I'd have, like, 13 days, but I just didn't want to stand up because it was a really big meeting. They, when they would say, is there anyone else new? Hoy would point down at me like that. Like, right here, right here in the back, <laughs> in the back. And I'd be sitting there with him pointing at me. Like, like, like fuck you. I stand up. I'm Bob. I'm an alcoholic. I got 13 days. Everybody, hello, Bob. Welcome. Welcome. Hello, Bob. I, I hello, helped, Bob. I had helped half the room get sober, but I still had 13 days. <laughs> it was fucking embarrassing. We really have so, some fond memories of like really great meetings and stuff. And, you know, I think the important is it's important not to forget that when you're newly sober or when you're going through the process, you know, that's such an important part of your life to anybody who's getting sober. Don't it's magical. En embrace that magic, man. You know what I mean? Just enjoy it and fucking embrace it and laugh. And, I know, you know but, what I mean? But what about, what about, well, okay. So the point to you guys is what do you say to someone who had two years in January and in April got loaded because of the coronavirus? What do you say to them, Chuck? Keep coming back. <laughs> right. Keep coming back, man. That's it. Because, I don't, you know, they're going to sort But when they out. give you the spiel, I was lonely, you know, I was, I was isolated. I, give, wasn't going, I wasn't going to my meetings because you can't go to meetings. What did but, they tell you? Don't drink, don't use, don't run, no matter what. Don't drink, don't use, don't want, run, but no don't matter you what. Think, I, I just say I think that's bullshit. I think you just got loaded because you forgot you're alcoholic and that your right. life's unmanageable. And that's exactly what you say to them. You just well, treat I, I, him like I don't, I, that, I don't need. Yes. I don't need to kick them when he's down, though. They're usually they're, they're full of shame right then and there. So I'll go, hey, no, 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 Chuck, no, you, you Chuck's a bleeding heart. Even <laughs> though he might be a moderate <laughs> politically, you're a bleeding heart. Huh. They don't. They don't say it all humble and fucking ashamed to me. They're saying uh, it like it's a matter of fact, like how, oh. why it happened. With the way they people act like present, psychologists, a lot well, of then you back. need to take them down a notch. Sometimes that helps to get called on your shit. That's what. Remember, you know, when you were new and people go, they called me on my bullshit. You're calling right. somebody on their bullshit if they're saying it wasn't my fault, man. There were no meetings. You don't have to and do it mean. You don't have to do it mean, like 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 a lot of club people or like some of the tougher people in hollywood but you can't say dude i don't know that sounds like bullshit to me i don't know a lot of people didn't drink man that's that's right yeah, yeah, yeah you know this is across the whole wide world and i know a lot of people that stayed sober you might want to find out how they did it probably didn't drink dude my friend my friend got cancer and he didn't drink and you got loaded because 
because the coronavirus isolation, my friend got cancer and stayed sober. You know what I mean? But, you know, so, it's all about what, what it's how, how far are people willing to go? I mean, you had a long run coming into your sobriety. Mike had a long, you had a long run of attempts. Mike didn't have a lot of attempts. He had one attempt, right? And mine was like in between your guys's where I had like a few attempts, not nowhere near as many as Bob. You know, there, for a time, 22 was a lot. Now yeah. it's just here in a, in a life of a millennial in treatment. But, you know, the, right. the, the idea that it has to be really bad out there, that idea of being convinced that I can't, no matter what, that I can't just smoke a little weed, that I can't just have a beer, that it doesn't matter that I'm not using a needle. But you don't think that you don't think that it's a victim society now and that's not helping people get and stay sober. If you've got a in our society, if you've got a good excuse, anything is, is is excusable. I'm talking about excuses for behavior. And the ultimate one I've heard in the last month and a half that I haven't wanted to talk about because I don't want to be negative and discouraging, but it's just ridiculous. I had a year and a half, but I got loaded because I was isolating so much because there was no meetings to go to and, you know, the coronavirus and I I lost my job. And I mean, it's so sad. And this is only going to make that whole downtrodden. Do you understand what's about to happen in the next year? It's not good. I was out in Phoenix last this week. There's homeless people in Phoenix by the sides of the freeways. What? I just never thought they, I didn't even think they allowed it. (laughs) Where do they go when it's 160 degrees? When it's 120? Oh yeah, when it's 160, 170, where do they go? Under the freeway, like overpasses where they were. Huh. Yeah. You know, a lot of those people that are on the streets now for years and years and years are a result of the the mortgage collapse, the mortgage crisis. They just never could regain footing, never could regain housing, never could regain um, an economic kind of foothold. And you kind of adopt, like I was homeless for a year and a half. You just get used to it and you get a routine and you get your kind of places and parts of town and places you go that you feel comfortable. And you also understand why people act nutty and stuff too, because if you are living on the street, you want to keep people away from you. You know, you just really use it as a defense and you want to keep people away. Well, you talk you to yourself and you scream and you well. I mean, I'm not the same human being that was living on the streets. I was out of my mind <laughs> on drugs. Kind, kind of are. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> no, he smells so much better. I do smell better. <laughs> you know the story about, like, uh, I, got in a, I got in a mutual friend of ours' car. He hadn't seen me in a while. And he just started, he goes, do you smell that? And I go, and I was trying to smell. And, and he goes, he goes, and he, like, weighs up your shoe. And he thought I had dog poop on the bottom of my shoes. <laughs> no, it was just me, Chuck. It was just me. Yeah, man. That was, uh, oh, that was kind of, quite embarrassing. He's quite a big uh, rock musician. The good old days. And, like, he just hadn't seen me. 
And he was like, holy, what is going on, Bob? And I said, well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know toilet paper shortage. It was because of Corona. No, I, I said it. I said I kind of had an accident. You and then that? I had to wash my pants out in the sink at the 76 station on Beverly. You see, but Chuck's but right, though. You would have an excuse nowadays. You'd be like, yeah, oh, it's a coronavirus. No of course. Yeah. Well, otherwise, I would, you know, I would be fine. I wouldn't even be drunk. How about the fact, how about the fact that I was honest enough? to say i had an accident and i had to wash my <laughs> pants out i like that you had an accident you i have go, seen well, you have there many was a accidents Chuck, Chuck, uh, mike knows the gas station on 76 <laughs> right near western west of oh, western yeah. on beverly that has the best bathroom I ever. used to shoot up in there all the time. Um, and, and I used to live Could in there. Could not make it home. <laughs> and, <laughs> and there it is. Here's the deal. So, Chuck, Chuck, it was my kind of safe haven for a while. I was a little right? heartbroken when it went away, when they tore it down, when they leveled it. I was a little heartbroken. Aww. I'm nostalgic. What can I say? I used to live there. So I, I get this routine. <laughs> I get this routine where I kind of hang in there. I kind of washed it really good. I had, uh, It was like my groovy pad for you a You were the guy that cleaned it? Somebody would knock because it didn't have a, they didn't have a key that you went and did it. It just had a slider thing. When you were in there, you could slide it and lock it. And then somebody would knock. When somebody would knock, I would just come out and say, okay. And then they would go to the bathroom. I would just stand outside until they came back out and then I would come back in. That is so polite. And they must have always thought, everybody that went to pee there must have always thought like, oh gosh, that guy's got diarrhea or something. Because he was just in there when I went and used it. And then he came out and then he went back in really fast. Like yeah. But I was trying to get in there and shut the door so that nobody else got in there. Anyways, I was washing the pants when I had the mistake that led to the person think I had dog poop on my shoe and there was no soap. Remember the sandy soap? It's not like yeah. the soap. The, little, <laughs> the gritty soap. Right? Yeah. The gritty you got to push soap. up on the Yeah, gritty soap. The kids that are listening have no idea of what it is. Oh, yeah. So there was none left in the little thing you push your hand up. There was none left. And I had to wash these pants. They had had a mistake in them, Chuck. Do you know a what mistake. I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes, so I was reaching down in the top just to get the little dust particles of soap that was inside the little thing, right? And the and the caked on soap that's on the bottom where you push with your hand. Yeah. And, and so I didn't corners. have a lot of soap. Yeah. But I was able to make, I remember it like it was yesterday, I was able to make a little bit of sudsy suds <laughs> out of the little bit of sandy soap that was left. <laughs> Great. And then I washed the crotch area of the pants. Yeah. And then and then and then I just wore them for another three months. <laughs> right. Yeah. That might have been part of the problem. Is that, is that, you know, the extended wear. And, and for all of you rock mu rock star, rock musician fans that listen to us, it was John Fashante's pants. I shit John Fashante's <laughs> pants. Right. Nice. They were, old, they were old, old suit pants, right? I wish that. Yeah, they were old suit pants. I wore them for years. <laughs> you know what's the funny thing? I wish you could sell those pants on eBay for like a thousand bucks right now. <laughs> Even smelling the way they do. <laughs> These were the pants. Probably get These more. These were formerly worn by John Fushante, and then they were the homeless attire of Bob Flores from Celebrity Rehab. Right. You think we could get a thousand bucks for that? Chuck? They should be framed in a Hard Rock Hotel in Sweden or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were really cool yeah. pants. No, that that's funny because one time when I was talking to uh, Dopey Dave, and I told him the first time I saw you, Bob, the first time I kind of met you, 
was when you were walking around and you walked into club lingerie and picked up somebody's guitar and did like a couple songs acoustic in between rick l rick and my my roommate's band shadowland they were playing there that night oh, yeah yeah and, and i go who what the fuck was that and they go that's Thelonious bob like like i was supposed to know who the fuck you were like that's Thelonious bob and i go god he doesn't smell good because you you you, you look i thought you were i thought you were a bum but yeah well that well, here's to, the thing here's the thing that worked to my advantage and mike was there I, my image when i was kind of rolling and kind of doing good was that of kind of a quirky looking bum right so that was what was so hard for my friends to understand when i really did become a bum that i wasn't <laughs> just the old bum was, the, yeah there wasn't records. much of a difference in the appearance so because the walking i wore the same feet, clothes the dreadlocks the, the walking clothes, phoenix i had before. the same kind of feel going Yep. Except for now, I truly was homeless with poop in my pants. And prior to that, I was just an alcoholic musician. But you know what's funny is that no one invited you to play the guitar. You just did. And the <laughs> now, I, felt like I, I felt like I owned the lingerie because Brendan booked it. And my, my first wife, Lori Patterson, worked there for years and years and years. So I knew, I knew, I knew the owners i knew the djs i knew the bartenders so so it was um, your living but a room. lot of times yeah it was like my living room the lingerie had its own scene separate from everything else it had its own that like it had bands that played only at the lingerie and uh, oh, i had uh, pinky what oh about pinky? two balls and a bat do you remember them Okay, so Club Lingerie was where the people who worked there were more interesting than the bands that played there, to be honest with you. And I was there probably three, four nights a week from 1982 till it closed. And there was the coolest people there. There was a girl named Pinky who always dressed up with an umbrella. Remember that girl, Yeah, Mike? the 18th century. She's, she's on Facebook. Yeah, she's, she's in she's England. All, Still, yeah, she um she was there. Europa was there. Brendan Mullen was there. Fast Freddy, Lori Patterson, um, this guy Doug, I think owned it. Was Dolores, it Doug? Remember it? Dolores from Horace Boris? Horace Boris and Dolores. Horace Boris and Dolores. <laughs> Plus Keith Keith Morris was there all the time. Horace Boris um, Morris Dolores. Yeah, it was it was a, there was like a bunch of people who worked at lingerie, and they had a band called Horace Boris and Dolores. And then uh, Keith Morris would always say Horace Boris and Horace Boris Dolores Keith Morris and Bob Boris. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so the people that worked there, the people that worked the door. Remember what was the guy's name that worked the door? He was so cool. Tony. Remember Tony? Tony the, the well, curly yeah, hair. Tony, Tony worked for the Circle Jerks. But then there was another. There was another guy there. I forget what his name was. Kimball. David Kimball. Yeah, okay. But like it was the coolest place, Chuck. The coolest place. I, I was nice. What was Tony's so last was name? What was to Tony's last name? The guy with the curly hair that would like go I don't everybody. know, but Remember he worked him? for the circle jerks. Yeah, but, he was I, great. But David Kimball is just the funnest place. Now the cafe was fun in a different way. It was like Dobbs and Michael Brennan, the owner, and Don 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 Bowles doing sound. Yeah, but but, but it was like had, the cafe was like junkie world. And then the lingerie was like cool people, new wave. Oh, it had great right? bartenders, and you could get you know oh, yeah, any kind I'm of a saying. drink. I it just named very... Mike. I just named all the bartenders. I know, Horse, but I'm saying that Lawrence, they knew how to bartender. Europa, they didn't just Pinky. open a Budweiser and hand it to you. You yeah. know what I'm talking about? They they're like not. At it the was cafe. like Valhalla, Chuck. But let me tell you, 
the the bands there wasn't there was a lot of bands that weren't very good that played there, including Thelonious Monster. Some nights, right? Oh, I beg so, to differ. They were all so, good. <laughs> but this one night, we had somebody open for us, and I was watching them. And in walked Tommy and Paul to the lingerie, and it was like ten thirty at night. And I was like, "What are you guys doing?" And they go, "Fuck that place! They wouldn't let Tommy drink because he's not twenty one." So the replacements had gone to play a gig in like the Inland Empire or Orange County. Tommy Stinson was only like 19 years old. They wouldn't let him drink. So they just said, fuck you, we're not playing. And they came to our gig. And then Paul said, we want to play before you. And I was Mm -hmm. like, okay. And I ran upstairs to tell Brendan, like the replacements are going to play. And this is after Tim had been released. One of the greatest Mm. punk one of the 10 greatest punk rock records ever made, in my opinion, but one of the greatest albums of that decade by far. And so, and they were working on new material. And I remember I ran up and told Brendan, he goes, he goes, are they all here? Cause I was notorious for saying the chili peppers are going to play, but only flea would be there. So, <laughs> so I said, they're all here. And so they played and I remember it. I don't remember all because by, by the time they played, we had done a lot of cocaine, but I do remember they played the song can't hardly wait that you ended up being on the next album. Please to meet me. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And there were just was magical nights like that. I saw big Joe Turner there. I saw Freddie Mercury go there to see the blasters. He was standing on the, on the, on the dance floor watching the blasters, Freddie Mercury. That's cool. You know what I mean? So there yeah. was these, it's not the same as the clubs now. The same, the clubs now are just corporate and it's, yeah, there's great bands and whatever, but it's not a community. There's no community at clubs anymore. The lingerie was a community. And yes, I could be homeless and I'd come in the front door and if there was an acoustic guitar sitting there, I'd just get on stage and play a couple of songs. You remember Brandon yeah. used to always book Screaming Jay Hawkins, man. Where Screaming Jay Hawkins would pop out of the coffin and shit. I saw Stevie Ray Vaughan at the club lingerie. I saw um, Big Joe Turner was going to play with the blasters behind him. And I was like a runner for the lingerie too early on. And Big Joe Turner was sitting there with his wife at a table waiting for the sound check. And he just started drinking out of this little tiny bottle. And I was looking at it. It didn't, it wasn't big enough to be a half pint. And I was looking at it. And then I think Bill Bateman was sitting there and I said, Bateman, ask him what that is. And so he asked him and he goes, oh, this is cod liver oil. I got ulcer. I plan on drinking <laughs> later. So I'm coating my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> and that guy had a stomach. Big Joe Turner's stomach was as big as a Volkswagen. Casey Big Joe Turner was so amazing. He played the same seven songs, same set for like 35 Slip, years. Slop and fly. Don't care. In the same die. order and everything, man. It was amazing. Yeah. And so Big Joe Turner, then one time Brendan had me and John Hawk, who had a Volkswagen band, so we could pick up big bands at the airport. It was for Mardi Gras. And we go to pick up Clifton Chenier, the great uh, Zydeco artist from New Orleans. Oh, from my Af- God, really? from Lafayette, Louisiana. Love it. We go to pick him up. And Huck's driving the Volkswagen van. I'm sitting, I'm on my knees between the two seats. Clifton Chenier sitting in the front seat of a Volkswagen van with no air conditioning, you know, it was, you know, it, with the windows down, coming home on the 10 freeway from the airport and all the band in the back, like the, the washboard player and 
the drummer and bass player and all these guys in the van. And, and the, it's really loud because the windows are open. And the Clifton Chenier looks at me and he goes, they got the young booty at the club, yeah, Bob. <laughs> and I was like, I couldn't hear. And I was trying to, by saying, I looked at the washboard player, was like 22 years old. And he looked at me and he started laughing. And Clifton Chenier said a third time, they got the young booty at the club, yeah, Bob. <laughs> Because <laughs> he's trying to yell over the sound of the Volkswagen engine and the windows open on the 10 freeway. And, and the kid, I turn to the kid and he looks at me and he goes, he's asking if they have the young girl, young booty at the club. <laughs> and I go, what, what is, I said, and then I was like 22 and I said, well, it's 21 and over. Because I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> so, no, they're all my age. I didn't know what Clifton Chenier thought was young. Yeah, right. But... I said, well, it's 21 and over. And the, all the band started laughing. And then Clifton Engineer started laughing. He goes, and he touched my arm. He goes, just kidding, Gumon, just kidding. But oh, man, that must have been great seeing him. I'm a huge fan of his, but I never got to see him. Oh, uh, he had a song called Um Parte Lafayette. Yeah, it was just big. Um Parte Lafayette. Yeah, yeah, he, he had another great, song called, so, uh, it was all in French Cajun, too, yeah, the French singing. Yeah, Cajun. Yeah. But, but, I mean, the greatest artist in the world played there. I know. At the lingerie. So And good. then you were there, Chuck. How lucky were you? I know. There was a lot of good stuff happening. That's why I like that movie. But, you know, the closest thing that I know to that, I think Mike Mart came very close to putting together a community like that with the Insolvent Songwriters Club. At the, uh, at the Piazzas. Well, yeah, even no, before the Insolvent Songwriters, just the Piazzas in general. It was a cool place. It had a family <clears throat> atmosphere. Mike was there. Cool people would play there. Did TSOL, did TSOL play there one time? I'm not sure if they did or not. Um, <clears throat> well, no, Chuck's talking about the Insolvent Songwriters Club, which was at the Vinyl Fetish which is vinyl great solution. vinyl sorry vinyl solution and uh at the at dps as you're talking about the writer's garage i had you down yeah, there i good. had peter i had pete weiss down there i had peter case i had you dave sing? alvin i had you know i had famous authors man neil pollock is a huge yeah, uh, author neil pollock. man so great and he came <laughs> and played and, and and read and and uh jerry stall man he came. Did you have amazing. Dan Fonte down there? Yeah, I did. Jerry Stahl, was, Jerry Stahl was so funny, dude. There was a whole, like, because it was a pizza restaurant, there was a whole family vibe watching this band that was opening up. And so they were kind of left over, and Jerry Stahl just started reading the most dirtiest, filthiest part of his book, man, about when this woman is, this woman's fantasizing about Jesus on the cross and having sex with him and stuff. <laughs> so, so, yeah, there's there's been communities, the Golden Bear. The, the original Golden Bear had community around it, but I'm just talking about this post-2000s world. I don't think there's anything like what was in Hollywood in the early 80s. I just don't think there No, you're there right. Is. And you know, you know why? Because it, because it jumped from L.A. and it went to Nashville. And then it jumped from Nashville, went to Austin. Then it jumped... It, it, the, those, those zeitgeists of great artists and great audiences, see, because I believe audiences help the artists become better artists it's a community of people it's the audience and it's the artist and la had both for like literally 10 years oh yeah i, I think almost everybody in the crowds 
were in other projects or are were artistically inclined in some way or another. There yeah. was so everybody you're either playing next or you're going to play the next night or the next week, and everybody was supportive. But I think that. I don't think that that I would love for some place or something like that to happen again. I mean, I would think that if well, you it happened. Well, let's look where it happened. It happened at a place called the Smell in downtown L.A. when Elijah was 15. So that's like 2001. He was born in 86. I went there, obviously chasing him down because he's 15 out at, you know, midnight on, on a weekday night on a, on a Thursday, Friday night. Um there was something magical that went on with no age, um, uh, Mars Volta, um, Amps for Christ. Remember, Mike, your favorite band, Amps for Christ. So there has been little pockets of it, but nothing like how many different communities there were in L.A. There was an anti-club community. There was a Cafe de Grand community. There was a Club Lingerie community. There was a Madame Wong's uh, West Side community. There really wasn't a Madame Wong's downtown by the time I was in charge. <laughs> nobody, nobody really went to Madame Wong's, man. I mean, we yeah, played the West there Side. Once. They did because I saw Rank and File. Oh, one the of West Rank Side. When I forgot shows. about that. Yeah, yeah. Rank, Rank and File. Hey, Chuck, did you know their band played country punk music long before anybody else? They were called Rank and File. They were amazing. I had never seen anything like it. It was like Merle Haggard on 78 speed. <laughs> right, Mike? Is that the first? You're going to say, I know Mike's going to say Jason and the Scorchers. No, no, now, no. I'm not. The, the rank, rank and file, file was, was the amazing, first country dude. punk that, band. Yeah. That's the brothers, the two brothers that, yeah. went, that were and in I the And I saw them at the, the Madam Wong's on the West Side, Chuck. You were probably too young. Madam Wong's on the West Side was an old funeral home. They put oh, like a club yeah, inside right. a funeral home. Yeah, that was weird. How about Music Machine with Gun Club <laughs> Circle Jerks' Spinal Tap? No, that's right. <laughs> that's right. That was so. Oh the my Spinal God. Tap guys came and played dressed in their costumes from the movie. Doing the total oh, skit. Doing the it total thing. So it was so fucking great. great. It was packed. So every night there was these magical communities and you had, you had regulars at the cafe that never went to the lingerie, right? And you had regulars at lingerie that would never go to Madame Wong's. And you had all these regulars, but then you had all the musicians hopping from one place to the other. Yeah. Magical time. And no one ever has documented it right. We talked a little bit about that Mayhem movie. The Mayhem movies, like a few years later. I moved to Hollywood in 81. I lived in downtown L.A., in 80 and then i moved to new york and i came back and lived in hollywood in 81 and that was well, you should get one of our filmmaker friends to make a proper yeah. documentary you know well here's the on thing about time, it all, the, all the people who really drove the scene don't really give a fuck and all the people that really were marginalized marginal parts of it they're the ones that are always going to want to dictate what it was <laughs> right, you're not gonna get you're not gonna get John Doe, who is the coolest, the sexiest, the king of that scene, to make a movie about it because he doesn't really care. Yeah, you well, know what I mean. But you'll get you know some people that you know were less than less you don't, less you don't important need to say people that were less important. <laughs> well, maybe we'll get a <laughs> shitty okay, movie. Give me a list of people. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be all right. Just a fucking crappy movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I always thought John Doe, for some reason, the real documentary of Hollywood, John Doe should narrate it. Oh, uh, yeah. But you know who should write it is somebody connected, which would be like Keith, uh, Chuck Dukowski, and all those, you know. Somebody that, now they're more South Bay. Keith is Hollywood, but Chuck isn't. I would think it has to be somebody, somebody who doesn't want to get themselves famous over it. Fame is just, fame is this contaminating thing in our society. <sighs> like, you know, one, I'll just tell, tell you. So what, what, did, what, did, uh, what did I want when I was 27 years old? I wanted to be famous. I wanted to have records that people bought and I wanted to play concerts and I wanted to go around. And I achieved maybe one third of what I wanted. But <laughs> you got the free but, beer part. So, yeah, the free beer and, and kind of go to any club I want and get up on stage and play two songs. <laughs> <There you laughs> <go. laughs> so, but I never really was that kind of famous that Flea and Anthony became, right? So lo and behold, in 2007, Dr. Drew says, let's do this TV show. And I was that kind of famous. Like everywhere I went, I'd go to Walmart and Yucca Valley and like people would follow me around and I'd be like, <laughs> can I help you? And they said, can we get a picture? And I was like, sure, sure, sure. It was, it was the right time to get that. But if and I would have had you're that. you're not saying that in an egotistical way. You're just saying it in a very factual way. That's what people no, don't but get I was about crazy. you. you just... I was happy that it was happening and I couldn't believe it. I mean, television fame is way bigger than rock and roll fame. It's way bigger. And so, so, but I appreciate it because I was 40 and like, oh, this is pretty cool. And this is, so this is what I wanted so desperately when I was 27, <laughs> but I wasn't consumed by it. And then I started to realize if I got this when I was 27, I would have been so disillusioned, just like Kurt Cobain was, just like Eddie Vedder was just like Michael Stipe was, just like everyone who I kind of resented that they had everything that I wanted and they were overwhelmed by it and anxious about it and didn't like it and fame was a really hard thing to deal with. Uh, Flea was a little like that. He didn't know how to deal with it. Um, and, and actually, it's very kind of, if you're not gracious about it, it's kind of weird that you're, you know, I, I many a time, Chuck, from 2007 when Celebrity Rehab went on the air till 2000 till 2012 when it went off there, many times, like many, because I, you know, I have a poop problem. Oh, really? So many times. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we've ever heard that story, Bob. Well, when I have to go, I have to go. That's let's put it that way. And I never know exactly. I never know exactly when that's going to be, right? So. Many times, like I'm talking about three or four or five times, I've been pooping in a public restroom and people have talked to me under the door. <laughs> <laughs> no, not hey, okay. Can I get a picture after you're done? And I was like, okay, sure. You Just, didn't say, how about okay, now? <laughs> give me a minute. Okay. <laughs> how about now? <laughs> yeah. and then I say, I, and then I, you know, when you're in like a two stall bathroom, like, <laughs> like, uh, like at a McDonald's or like there's only two stalls and you can sense that you said, okay, as soon as I'm done, I'll go, okay, no problem. No problem. And you, 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 and you don't sense the person walking out of the bathroom and waiting outside the bathroom. They're just standing right outside the <laughs> stall and you're no, holding your with poop because you don't want to make noise. No, I don't know that. Do you That's not know this pain, Chuck? No, I'm sorry. I, I'll try to experience it sometime. I'd like to. Sounds interesting. Have you ever pooped in public? Yeah. Isn't it embarrassing and horrible? 
No, I just let it go. Mike, what about it? You just don't even give a fuck? No, I don't care. Well, I mean, you know, if you have to, you have to. But they know who you are, so that's different. If they I think, know who I you think are, the I anxiety that I had about it made it worse, for sure. <laughs> yeah, you got. You have a bit of a poop complex. I, I know. I've always had it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but how crazy is that? Like, I want to be famous my whole life, and now I'm seeing pooping in a Walmart bathroom, and some guy's talking to me, hey, can I get a picture after you're done? I'm like, sure, no problem. I'll meet you as soon as I'm done in here. And then you just feel him standing there waiting for you to finish pooping, wipe, get up, wash your hands, I guess, and then take a bathroom and then a, a picture in the bathroom of Walmart. Well, and the real irony is that famous people don't really talk about pooping as much as you do. <laughs> well, now I'm not famous. I was famous for, a, I got a good taste of fame. It wasn't horrible, but I know that it would have been horrible when I was 27. How about that? I have my fame lesson in life, right? Nice. Yeah, who would survive that? Like with the personalities like yours and mine who are just like over the top, driving into the dirt, drug addicts, you know what I mean? Drive the ship onto the rocks. Yeah, Now nowadays, if I was famous, I, I, I don't know. I just would be, I would say the wrong, if I was made famous again today, <laughs> I would say the wrong thing by yeah. Friday and be ostracized from society you'd be no. unfamous immediately <laughs> did you see that poor woman in, in the fucking uh, uh, central park no i started seeing it and she's i the mean one now i said poor woman dog. i'm gonna probably get crucified you didn't see the woman who said she was gonna make up charges against a black guy who was filming her for abusing her dog she was abusing her dog in central park this black guy starts filming her she says turn that off and and she keeps abusing the dog. It's crazy. You guys gotta watch the video. And so she watch. says, "I'm gonna call the police unless you stop videotaping me." And he says, "Calm, calm you know, eloquent Harvard graduate uh, guy who's a who's on the board of the Autobahn Society." And she says, "I'm gonna tell them that a black man is is threatening me and trying to, <laughs> to violently assault me." And oh, he's as calm as a cucumber, like this fifty year old black guy. Like, go ahead, call the police. And he's filming the whole time. Mm -hmm. It went viral. You haven't seen it? No, no, I haven't. Seen it. No. This this woman, like. She's a racist for sure. Let's just put it out there. Like many, like many people are racist and don't want to either even admit it to themselves, let alone to society. But she's racist. She has been crucified, death threat, lost her job, is being asked to leave her a co-op in New York. Her life is ruined from like a 28 second interaction with somebody that would for sure happen to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. there is some justice in the world because you know, you, anybody who abuses animals is less than <laughs> less than, and you know, oh, and in so, my opinion, so be, anybody, wait a minute. to be a racist anybody. is understandable. A majority of white people are, but to abuse animals. Yeah. Now, if you're an animal abusing racist, now America, can I just say this? America is a racist motherfucking country. It always has been. It always will be. So, Mike, you're actually more upset that she was abusing the dog than she was a racist. 
I just picked that up. It does. I don't know if it's true. No, I'm not more concerned about either. But I think that people. Oh, she that, had to give. She had to give the dog back to the good. place that she adopted it from. Did you know this? You guys got to look it up. People that abuse animals in the world. I'll just say it right now. Fuck them. She lost her job, That's her horrible. dog, her place to live by being a racist, rude Karen. They're calling her Karen. What a bummer it. for people actually named Karen. Yeah. Well, it's it's an intrinsically white name, so it's a good, safe... Is there no people of color named Karen? I don't, I don't know that for sure. I don't know but I mean, black women named Karen, to tell you the truth. <laughs> but, but, but when you think of someone named Karen, what do you think of? It's a white older lady. I think of Karen Carpenter right away. My One of my all-time heroes. I have a picture of her on my wall. An right old now. white lady had she lived. <laughs> she God. was a fragile, sweet Flower. angel. I, had she lived, she'd be old by now. That's that age group. And would she be complaining about, uh, about uh, not getting her hair done, the coronavirus? If her brother didn't kill her, I don't know. Oh, no, she died of X-lax. They were back to the poop. <laughs> <laughs> she did. Always there we go. Always with the poop. I, I, I know she was anorexic, but I think it's her brother's fault because, I don't know. What, I is, want... what is the term, uh, there's a Marvin Gaye term, like, ain't nothing in life but uh, taxes and death. What's the other things? Death and taxes uh, was Benjamin Franklin. The only certainties in life are ta something taxes and death. What is the three things? I don't know. Death, don't know? taxes, and Karen will fuck shit up. <laughs> I think that's those are the three. I think that was Socrates said that. No, wait. You got, look up Mike. Find <laughs> trouble, man. I can't look. I can't look shit up because we're on the Zoom. Okay. Uh, well, trouble man. Trouble man by Marvin Gaye. Yeah. There's only three things in life, baby. There's only three things, that's for sure. Taxes, death, and trouble. Taxes, death, and trouble. And right? Poop. I'm gonna amend that. This is the fine this is the end of the show. There's only four things in life that I know. Taxes, death, trouble, and poop. Ah. Oh. Okay. Okay. Poop is, well. what, what, poop is the you know it's the hey. They poop in red states, they poop in blue states. I don't know. They, did, it, not if Trump did. If Trump did, the blue states would stop pooping. <laughs> All right, man. We'll see you guys later. Bye. Right. Bye, bye. Don't poop, everybody. Don't die, everybody. Let's leave it. Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die podcast. Got 100 people a day dying of drug overdoses, and it's got to stop. Allo Treatment Centers wants it to stop. We want people to get educated about drugs, about treatment. We want you to learn, laugh, and live, but first and foremost, don't die. And you can get a hold of Allo Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Allo Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake. 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call.